0: On August tenth, 2003, 19-year-old Sonia Ivanov left home with her best friend in Nome, Alaska for a night out of fun. Two days later, her lifeless body would be discovered, and the following investigation would uncover the shocking details that led to her murder. This is a story of Sonia Ivanov. Hey guys, this is Osh. This is Shiyashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. I swear, Maggie, you sound the same. Every time you do that, it was perfect.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's the same words every time.
0: (laughs) And you've mastered it. (laughs) Well, in other news, I had accidentally set my hair on fire trying to make a ribbon skirt.
2: How'd you do that?
0: I had my hair in a ponytail and it was flipped over my head and I tried to light the thread ends. It caught my hair and my hair just went whoosh. Oh my god! I mean, fortunately, my hair is layered, so I can't really tell where it caught fire. So my entire house smelled like burnt hair for a good couple hours. It was it was pretty scary. (laughs)
1: You know, I've actually accidentally sucked my hair up into the backside of the blow dryer and I could feel crunchy pieces of hair and had to go through my hair and actually cut pieces out.
0: Oh, how did you get it sucked into the back end of the blow dryer? I don't know. (laughs) It's like, how do these (laughs) things happen?
1: My house was like yours and it smelled like burnt popcorn and burnt hair for a good few weeks.
0: (laughs) Well, now I don't feel as bad because these freak accidents happen. But my new motto now when I do my ribbon skirts is never a ponytail, always a bun. TM. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's enough of a uh, chit chat about burnt hair. What do you got for us today, Osh? I'll
2: go ahead and get started. If you get lost, hopefully I, I can tell this story as well as I can. But again, it kind of takes a bunch of left and right turns. Sonia Abenhoff is a 19-year-old woman who lived in Nome, Alaska. She had six siblings and was described as a fun and goofy person who loved to live life to the fullest. She was born on April 13th, 1984 to her parents, Larry and Maggie Ivanhoff. She was well known as a prominent person in the community. and Her community was very small, kind of like Cherokee. You know, everybody kind of knows everybody. She was known in the surrounding communities as a good basketball player. She was very athletic. She was a native girl and she was just well known and well respected by so many people. In 2003, she had just moved to Nome from Unakalit after graduating high school in 2002 with her best friend, Timmery. Sonya was saving up her money to attend school in Hawaii the following fall. The story takes place in 2003. And so she's the same age as me. And so it's like mm-hmm. you can kind of connect to the story with like how her how she was yeah. living her life. Her and her best friend had moved away. And you know, she was wanting to attend school in Hawaii where it was warm to get away from Alaska. Nome has less than four thousand people that live there. How many? Less than four thousand. So it's really small. And Nome is known as the finishing point for the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's, it's the finishing point. It's the finish line. Nome is closer to Russia than it is to the United States, and it's it's a oh. it's small compared to cities in the lower forty-eight. But in Alaska, this was a big city. The village of Unacalit, where they were from, was small and surrounded by the ocean on one side and a river on the other. It was located about 150 miles from Nome. She was proud of her heritage and her family was proud of her. She was working at the admitting office at a local hospital in 2003 at the time this story takes place.
1: Did Dateline cover this story? Because I feel like I've heard this before, either from the episode or maybe a podcast. Yes. Okay, so I have heard the story.
2: Um, on August 10th, 2003, Sonia and Timory left home for a night out with, at a friend's house where they were playing board games and just hanging out. It was just before 11 o'clock p.m. when they started their night. Because you see, it was summertime. And in Alaska, the sun sets right before midnight. Oh, that's wild. To me, that's like hard to comprehend. But this is Alaska. So around one o'clock a.m., Sonia decided to head home since she had, she had worked the next morning. Timmery decided to head over to another friend's house. So they parted ways by saying what they always say to each other, peace out, pal. And that was the last time Timmery saw her because she never returned home. When Timmery made it home around 5 a.m., Sonia was not there. These two were super close and they shared everything together, including a bed. So when Timmery got home and Sonia wasn't there, she assumed she may have went to another friend's house or something. You see, this was before we all had cell phones, and she assumed she would hear from her later in the day, but she never did.
0: You know, in 2003, you want to think that we had the accessibility to phone technology that we have today, but we just didn't back then. It's just when someone goes missing, I'm sure, and we've seen this from other cases, that it's a lot harder to find them or know when they're missing. Yeah, when I read that, that was like,
2: wow, I couldn't imagine to not be able to pick up a phone, call or text, to see where people are. And there's even apps that you can, you know, with, with your family, that you can, like, mm-hmm. see where they're at at all times based off their cell phones.
1: And back before cell phones, people probably went missing long before anyone noticed because you don't have that constant communication.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of what happened in this case. Um, Timory called her work, but they said she never made it in that day. As the day went on, Timory was getting more and more worried. She even called the police department to see if she'd been picked up or arrested, and she hadn't been, so even more panic sets in because it's just not like Sonia to not check in. Timory finished up her day at her job and went to the known police department, who was an all white precinct and had the reputation of not taking crimes against Alaska Natives seriously. She was scared to even be there. She was young and didn't even know how to begin. Like, how do you go to a police station and say, like, my friend's missing, I don't know where she's at? Please help. She was was terrified. She told them she hadn't seen her friend and she thinks she's missing. And the police officers took it as a joke, saying, oh, are you sure? You sure she's not still out partying? That's probably what's going on.
0: See, I will never understand that kind of response because when people report family members missing, to me, it feels like there's a lot of hesitancy and to be sure, make sure that they're missing or they probably went through all these factors before they reported them. And at this point,
2: she's called Sonia's family to see if they heard from her. Now, her family began to get worried as well. When they first heard Sonia hadn't come home from Timoree, they thought, well, maybe it's just teenage girl drama and Sonia doesn't want to be around Timoree right now. But it's just not like her to not report to work. Now, her parents are out searching for her, as well as looking and asking people if they've seen her. They think of one guy, and his name's Kunik. Kunik and Sonia, they kind of talked, dated a little, but he just really wasn't her type, so they were never serious. Sonia's dad goes to the same police department and told them the same story and wanted to know if they had any information on where Kunick may be. They were all unconcerned with the issue. Now, Sonia's boss calls, letting them know that Sonia never came to work until they finally step up and start looking into where Sonia may be. On August 11th, Sonia was reported missing and the investigation began. Authorities searched her home and discovered all her belongings were still there. A volunteer search group was formed and they started looking around town. On August 13th, which was two days after she was reported missing, a volunteer firefighter saw fresh tire marks down Dredge 5 Road. He came upon a body lying naked with only one sock on and appeared she'd been shot in the head. Oh, my God. The next day, authorities confirmed publicly that the body they had found at the gravel pit stop outside of town was Sonia. So now a murder investigation began. They called in the Alaskan Bureau of Investigation. They covered her body, closed off the crime scene, and took shifts guarding the scene from grizzly bears and hoped for good weather. Alaska is such a big state and it's so remote that sometimes it takes hours for the right investigators, the coroner, things like that to get there. And so that's what they had to do. They had to take shifts to guard the crime scene.
0: Well, on top of that, they have to watch out for grizzly bears, too. So
2: once the investigators arrived, they immediately saw clues. They seen fresh tire marks that looked a little different in the aspect that one tire was different than the other three. They seen a paint transfer on a branch high like a truck or an SUV had hit up against it. It was a very faint light blue in color. So now they know they're looking for a light blue trucker SUV with one tire different than the other three. That was about all they found because Sonia's clothes were missing and they didn't find any forensic evidence and her rape kit was negative. Her family and friends could not think of anyone who did not like Sonia or who could have done this. The only person that came to mind was Koenig, whose real name was Daniel Akasuk. He was a hot-headed guy who had a temper. He had a couple of past domestic violence charges with his ex-girlfriend, who was also the mother of his child. So immediately he became a person of interest because friends said he had a crush on Sonia and he drove a blue truck. So they tracked him down and looked at his truck and one tire did not match the others. Ooh, the same tire that is described to be mismatched in the investigation was also the same tire on Koenig's truck that was different from the rest. They also found drops of blood on the floorboard. There was a tart they found that had a lot of dried blood on it. Three rifles were in his truck, and the butt of one of them had blood on it, and they found dried blood on his shoes. So, this sounds like, you know, close case, right? Right. So, they bring him in, and they interview him. He tells him that he hasn't talked to Sonia in almost two weeks. He last seen her a couple of days ago prior to her going missing, but said he didn't speak to her. Kuhnick told officers he was out of town when Sonia went missing, and that he was out hunting with friends. While the investigator is interviewing Kunik, he noticed a big scratch on his back, and he said his baby mama did that. So they took him in to get DNA tested, and if it matched anything to Sonya, it would have been a done deal. Do you remember any of this, Maggie?
1: Yes, I literally just watched this episode, which is why I'm not saying anything, because I will totally ruin it.
0: Oh my gosh, okay. Um, I'm a little worried here, because the way you're wording it sounds like, boom, closed case. But I'm getting the vibes here that that's not it. Yeah, so Koenig
2: was adamant he did not kill Sonia and that he was out of town the night she was murdered. So then he recalls and tells the police that he had ran over a rabbit and that's where the blood had come from. He ran over it and it did not die immediately, so he got out and hit it with the butt of his gun to kill it. Or the blood on the floorboard could also be from a porcupine because he shot and killed one while hunting. So he just has all this animal
0: blood in his mismatched, tired truck that matches the crime scene. Yeah,
2: I mean he oh, likes okay. he liked Sonya. He drove a truck that matched the evidence at the crime scene. He knew the area well, and he had blood in his truck. So you know, it's the perfect suspect.
1: But you know, if that was animal blood, they could probably test it and find out pretty quickly.
2: And they do, because when the forensic came back on the blood, none of it was human blood. None of it. It was all animal blood. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. Then they looked at the tires closely during the investigation, of course, and the tire tracks did not match the tire tread at the crime scene. And the blue paint was compared and the shades of blue were off just a little bit. So Koenig was telling the truth and he was not there the night Sonia went missing and he's off the hook. Everything he said was true.
0: What are the odds that all the factors are there? It's just off by a little bit. That is wild.
2: Yes. He was the perfect suspect. At least they did their
1: due diligence and tested it and, you know, didn't just write this man off, given all the circumstantial evidence, because that could have been really bad for him, because it's almost like the perfect storm. So thankfully, they did do their due diligence to make sure he was clear.
2: So now they're back to square one. And the investigator in the case worked nights, and it was hard to interview people at nighttime, of course. It's a small police department. with not that many officers. And so the other officer... Assigned to the case work days and he would not share information with the nighttime investigator. So the investigator working the night shift was so frustrated that he decided to start investigating Sonya's case from the beginning. He went back through the case files and found a note that had been not looked into. A woman named Florence had called the police department to give them information she thought would help the investigation. So the detective went to visit her. She said the night Sonya went missing, her and her sister went outside on their porch to smoke a cigarette and they seen Sonya walk by their house. They knew each other and so they waved. And then she watched as a car approached Sonia as she was walking down the sidewalk and then it drove off and then stopped down the street she was walking towards. Sonia gets in the car and they pull off and this was about 1.26 a.m. But it was not just any car, it was a police car. <gasps> Shut up! A police car that belonged to the known PD. So the lead investigator knew right away their police department could not investigate the case so they called the Alaska investigation back in to take over the case. So who was driving the car? Well, there was only three police cars in the police department and two officers on duty that night, Matt Owens and Stan Bascura. Sonia's dad would go to the police department every morning to see if they had any updates and if they were any closer to getting any answers for Sonia's death. Owens had been a police officer for about three years, and he was the one that got mad when Sonia's dad tried to hang their picture up in the police department. Pascore was also in the force for about three years and he was the one Timory talked to and didn't take her serious when he tried to let them know Sonia was missing. So now two new people are people of interest and they are starting to look into them. While they are questioning them, the investigators notice that one of the three police department SUVs is missing, which is strange. An officer noticed it, reported it, so now the officers are looking for an SUV as well. Well, it didn't take long to find it. It was at a gravel pit that was close to where Sonia's body was found. Officer Owens, calls in a dispatch to let them know he found the SUV, then immediately calls in, shots fired. When the other officers arrived, Owens came out of the gravel pit and told them he had run off into the tundra and said he was upset about being an officer and maybe this just isn't what he should do. Maybe he shouldn't be a cop anymore because he feared for his life. So they searched the SUV and noticed the driver's window was busted out and a rifle was missing. Then they found a note. The note read, and I quote, If you leave me alone, I will leave you alone. I will also shoot you in the head if you get close. As you see, it was easy for me to take your pig car keys, and it's not her fault. She thought I was a pig. It just happened. She was just a person, and I just wanted to see if I could that night. The note also had Sonia's photo ID attached to it. And so the last Bureau of investigation want to bring in the two officers that were on shift that night, Owens and Pascora to question them about that night. Well, Owens was shaken up about getting shot at, so he went to a therapist instead of going to Anchorage to be questioned. You see, these two cops are still working while being investigated. Pascore went first and told them about his shift. His work and time was accounted for. Matt Owens goes to be questioned five days later. They asked him about the night Sonia went missing and asked him to review his shift. They asked him if he picked up Sonia that night, and he denied it. But investigators knew one of them was lying based off of Florence's account. so investigators start asking about Owens in town. He is known to be, bring friends on ride-alongs, even though he was told not to do that. He was known for picking up women in his police car and having sex with them. Women started reporting that he would follow them in his police car, then go ahead of them and cut them off on their path. It matched the story Florence told investigators, and Owens adamantly denied ever doing those things. Owens also said he didn't know Sonia, that he only spoke to her a few times while at work at the hospital. They asked him about picking up women for ride-alongs, and he denied that too. They gave both officers a polygraph test, and Stan Pascore passed, but Owens failed. They go back over that night he found the missing cop SUV, and they still don't think his story adds up to what happened that night and how he found it. I'm still a little confused on what happened when he found the car. He said he seen taillights, pulled up immediately, but didn't see anyone in the car. So if you pulled up immediately after seeing the taillights, where did the person go so fast? Remember the, the car windows busted out and there's a rifle missing. The investigators said he didn't follow standard protocol by using his flashlight and checking the car for people. He just seen taillights and went straight to the car to check it. He said he was shot at and ran off into the tundra. But a review of the area that this took place, there was f- abandoned equipment, piles of gravel, rocks, numerous places to hide behind if you were taking cover from gunshots. It just didn't make sense for him to run off like he did. But there was still no proof to arrest him. So it sounds like he's just making all this up.
0: Well, yeah, if he's being looked at as a suspect and he was the one that discovered the car, definitely sounds fishy. At this point, he's
2: on admin leave and going through a messy divorce and in a custody battle for his son. Two and a half months later, Matt Owens was arrested for the murder of Sonia. Her parents went to the raiment and they were met with hostility immediately because a cop had been arrested for murder of their daughter. Owens' mostly white church spoke up saying he didn't do this and they spoke to the disrespect that was evident. Cops are supposed to protect and serve, not be the ones charged with murder. So more and more women are starting to come forward and speak up about Owens because they're finally starting to feel safe. He would give women rides home, force women to have sex with them, And then telling them, no one is going to believe you, a drunk native woman, over a police officer. And there was even one story where he had to arrest a woman. And he said, I'll let Mm -hmm. you go if you have sex with me.
0: Okay, so if these allegations are true, then this man absolutely had no reason to be a cop or be put in a position of power. Because he was abusing it. Six women
2: told stories of stalking and rape, and when they tried to report it, it was not taken seriously by the police department. So now investigators got a tip to go to Coffee Creek to a hunting campground that Owens went to often. They started searching there and found a campfire pit. They started carefully swifting through it, and they found an eyelet of a shoe. And it had Skechers written on it, and as they searched, more and more they found more eyelets. And see, Sonia was wearing sketchers shoes the night she went missing. They also found a broad mm-hmm. clasp and a metal button with the word teal on it. They questioned Timory and sure enough, those matched the clothes Sonia was wearing the night she went missing. Still, though, anyone could burn stuff there, and there was still no hard evidence to match Owens to the murder of Sonia. Then they found a key, and that key went to Owens' uncle's mailbox, but still no evidence to tie him to her. The investigators also knew they were looking for a certain bullet type, a 22 round, and so the investigators go back to the crime scene and search all around the area and cut back the plants, Get an even better view of the ground they found the shell of a bullet and narrowed down the type of gun used and so the first place they decided to look for this certain type of gun was to start in the evidence room of the police department and it's pretty accessible to anyone in the police department pretty much if you work there you can get into it they found a Jennings gun that matched oh. the bullet that was used to kill Sonia so the gun that was used to kill her was in the police evidence room already oh my gosh The prosecutors built a pretty solid case against Owens in the courtroom, but Owens maintained he did not kill Sonia and had a pretty aggressive attorney. He stated a cop may have killed Sonia, but not Owens. It could have been Officer Redburn, another cop on on the force. The defense stated he had a motive because Owens had been having an affair
0: with Redburn's daughter. So they're just going to point their finger at a random man who has no evidence linked to him whatsoever? Well, it worked because the
2: judge declared a mistrial because the jury was deadlocked. Owens was not guilty and no closure for the murder of Sonia was made that day. The family fought for another trial until seven months later. The second trial was in Nome. The defense was putting all the evidence out against Owens. Burroughs, the cop who started the investigation, got a phone call about new evidence in the case. And this is while the trial is going on. Giovanna, another police officer, said he was chatting with a neighbor When Charlotte, who was a family friend of Owens, said, did they ever mention that Sonia's ID card was in the room that Owens had rented from me? And they were like, wait, what? No, no. And she said, this is while he and his wife were separated. He rented a room from Charlotte. And Charlotte said she'd seen a woman's wallet and Sonia's ID card in his room. This is the same ID card that was found attached to the note. In the, issue, in the police SUV when Owens was shot at. So the investigators called Charlotte and recorded the conversation, and she had admitted to seeing the ID, but she thought they already had known of the ID and didn't think much of it. So they bring her to Nome to testify in court, and she goes to the court and denies everything. No! Said so she didn't see it, doesn't know anything about it. But then they play the tape of the recorded conversation, and that sealed the deal. The jury finds Owen guilty of the murder of the death of Sonia, and was sentenced to 101 years in prison. He was found guilty of murder in the first degree and tampering with evidence. He still says he did not kill Sonia, and he did not get a fair trial. He still denies everything. Picking up the women and having sex with them, he said he never did that. However, Prosecutor Richard Silverbody asserted Owens committed the murder, and a few weeks later staged the theft of a patrol vehicle or an ominous note addressed to the police department was found. He tried in every way to take the focus and the heat off of him.
0: I'm sorry, real quick. So the lady who saw Sonia's ID in the room Owens rented admitted to it and they got up on the stand and said, no, i you know, I never said that. Did we ever learn why she denied it on the stand? Because she was his family friend. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad at least at this point, we know that justice was served and that the man who murdered Sonia is in prison. What I just hate is how murky the waters are when it comes to accusations, or holding corrupt police officers accountable.
2: Yeah, because they're supposed to protect and serve, but in this case, they were the abusers.
1: There's already a lot of distrust in Native communities for law enforcement, so now this whole community probably doesn't trust anyone in law enforcement, which is terrible. Who are they going to call, you know, if they have any issues?
2: Right, and they have a new police chief. They now have a full-time investigator devoted to sexual assault and an Alaska Native victims advocate. And currently, no native officers are on the police department, but the police chief wants to change that. So what about the tire marks that was at the scene?
0: Oh, yeah. I forgot about
2: that. Well, they were unrelated to the murder case. A couple had stopped there to use the bathroom, not knowing that they were close to a murder site. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's crazy. The funeral for Sonya had so many people in attendance they had to have it at their high school gym in her hometown. Sonya's family misses the funny, full of life, and kind Sonya they lost. They will never get her back, and their lives are changed forever. On april twenty seventh, two thousand seven, Sarah Palin signed the Sonya Ivanhoff Act into law. The law mandates the maximum sentence for first degree murder when committed by an on-duty police officer.
1: I don't remember if you said this or not, Osh, but I'm pretty sure the speculation was that he actually pulled up to her in his patrol car and propositioned her for sex because she said no to a police officer in his police car. So he knew that he would be implicated and that she could tell someone what he did. And that's why he killed her.
2: Yeah, she did. She denied it and told him she wouldn't do it. You're exactly right. That's why he did it. Yeah. And he still denies it to this day. It's just a sad story because even his her best friend, you know, she had to move back home because she was so traumatized and she just doesn't trust
0: police officers after this. And how could you? Oh, absolutely. Because even before this happened, there was already a distrust. I just hate this because Sonia sounded like a lovely person.
2: Sonia Ivanhoff was taken tragically too soon at the hands of someone who was supposed to protect and serve. Her parents want her to remember it as someone who was a goofball, a great basketball player, a ray of sunshine, who loved her heritage. She loved her family. She loved
0: her friends. And she is someone who was tragically taken. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.